Okay, I'm the scripture reader today, so we'll be doing it in the middle of the message and all, but uh, good to see all of you. I enjoyed that last uh, song of praise a lot. I heard it, we had it in Joyland. When was it? Years ago? And yeah, that was really as old. I see Emily and the Z girl. I love you. Hidden in the basket. Welcome. Praise Lord that you guys are all doing well. Today is the third message in our little evangelism series, uh, stemming from the phrase, we proclaim him, right, out of uh, church keepers uh, for the year. Uh, now, I hadn't planned it fully uh, when I started the series, but I am glad that I was able to kind of talk about several ways or methods of evangelism right, as examples of how uh, we can incorporate the sharing of Christ to our friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, fellow students um, who are not yet believers. Um, here is where uh, we've been uh, in terms of a, a series and where I hope to go. So different evangelism methods, right? Um, first was contact evangelism. I just made up that phrase, contact evangelism. In Matthew uh, 9, we looked at how Matthew became a follower of Jesus, come and follow me. And then immediately he invited his friends, right? He invited his friends and um, they uh, got to rub shoulders. They got to eat together with Jesus, right? And it was a scandal uh, what Jesus did. And yet uh, Matthew already had that heart, the heart of evangelism. And then uh, we followed that um, with uh, servant evangelism, right? Servant evangelism. And this was Tabitha, right? And uh, I just call it Tabitha fashion, right? Because she was a clothes uh, maker uh, for those in need, widows especially, who had no um, source of income, they had no power, right? They had no leverage, uh, no resources. And so she gave of herself to help them and to uh, share Christ with them. And um, then when she passed away, right, you saw how much love people had for her in, in response to her love uh, for them. And then when Peter raised her from the dead, uh, that impacted that whole region, and I think Peter's heart uh, as well. Uh, today, we're gonna go into what I'm calling conversational, conversational evangelism. And it's uh, based on John 4, right? um, the uh, Samaritan woman's story, woman at the well, Jesus' uh, conversation with her about living water right, and more. Uh, today's message is going to take a closer look at what uh, the apologists and evangelism experts refer to as uh, conversational evangelism. It's, uh, um, it means using conversations and dialogues with unbelievers to kind of help them progress closer uh, to the Christian uh, worldview. By no means is this, you know, small list, some, it's not exhaustive right, of the evangelistic methods. And no one method is superior to another. They're just all tools which we can put to holy use in helping others take one step closer and then another step. And just progress closer to Christ through each encounter, each occasion, each conversation uh, that God might grant us uh, to them. So let me uh, next try to explain my kooky title for today. 
Convertization. Convertization. Uh, I know it does not, I know it, it does look like I've mangled the word conversation. I add a, a little section there, uh, converted. Because I wanted to um, come up or make up a word to emphasize what's happening. The, what's happening in these exchanges is the idea of conversion. Right? We're trying to convert someone from unbeliever to become a follower of Christ. We're talking about uh, altering their eternal future. So these conversations are important. There's it's high stakes, right? It's uh, God's watching, God's listening, God's encouraging, God's working. Right? And so to have um, us to kind of be more mindful of the conversion, the con con convertive aspect. At the same time, I also wanted to have us think about um, what changes need to happen in our own approach, our mindset, as we talk to our friends about Christ. And so not only are we trying to con bring conversion into the life of a friend, but we need to have a new approach, maybe a fresh strategy, some strong uh, kind of critical thinking beforehand and during in order to make these gospel conversations uh, effective. So uh, today's sermon, we're going to have two parts, and I'm going to switch the order. I'm going to talk first about this converted thinking in our own minds, and then in the second half of the sermon today, I want to start to examine how Jesus so skillfully uses questions and dialogue uh, to help uh, convert the Samaritan woman to arrive at faith uh, in himself. Actually, I think I need two sermons to adequately develop these thoughts. So I'm going to kick off the uh, message today uh, about conversational evangelism. Then after our guest speaker, Reverend Steve Allen, next week comes and shares, we will revisit Convertizations again the Sunday after that, April 3rd. So today... The next week, guest speaker, and then we'll finish up John 4 in uh, third Sunday. So, number one, uh, what do I mean by converting our approach to conversation with non believers? Why do we need to have a change of mind about this? I think, in general, in the past, evangelism has been often understood as maybe sharing a gospel tract before spiritual laws or bringing someone to church to hear preaching uh, about Christ's death and resurrection, or perhaps sharing your personal salvation testimony, how Jesus uh, changed your life, how uh, your uh, faith uh, has uh, come alive. And these certainly have been and will continue to be great methods of communicating the gospel. But in our day, in our time, 21st century, certainly America, the world, there's been some major cultural shifts. There's been like incredibly rapid technological advances, as well as uh, pretty much, I think, a very widespread, a prevalent 
what we call a postmodern, right? postmodern mindset. And it's this that the postmodernity was saying something like, there really is no such thing as a solitary, overarching, absolute truth. Before people bought into the idea that there is one truth, right? Like governs everything and we have to find it. And once we hear it, once we you know accept it, we're gonna be on common ground with you know, most of the people in the world. That, that's been the kind of uh, assumption that I think evangelism uh, has been uh, built on. But today, right, uh, truth is often viewed relatively, right? And subjectively, personally, your truth is not my truth and whoever writes truth gets dictate what truth is. Uh, and just all those complications, right? Some of it, I think like, you know, deconstruction of it is helpful. Right, uh, you know, in terms of uh, like colonialism and um, truth to power and all that kind of stuff, but at the same time, I think it's undermined kind of the the basic like, scaffolding, if you will, with which we can kind of try to communicate the gospel. We we can't assume that that people know what we're talking about when we're talking about you know um, about God or about um, absolutes or about truth itself, right? Those are all uh, kind of jumbled together. It's, it's all kind of confusing now. Um, so we Christians face new challenges um, in sharing uh, our witness uh, of Christ. So if you recall, I talked about the importance of pre-evangelism, pre-evangelism. That's um, what needs to happen in many uh, relationships. Because people in our day are not familiar with the person of Christ, let alone his claims. So it's vitally important that we cultivate, we prepare the soil, the hearts of people. But you have to kind of get them ready. You have to uh, work through uh, barriers and difficulties and, 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 and maybe wrong presuppositions so that when the gospel, when we are pursuing uh, this kind of more direct evangelism, um, it can be yeah, productive, it can really help. And uh, I think a key way to effectuate these, this kind of pre-evangelism is through conversations. By this, I mean a dialogue, a true conversation where questions are asked, information is shared, answers are given, discussions are had, respectful, mutual, listening and understanding that takes place. It's not a monologue. It's not one person just, you know, talking, um, or even like a pure preaching slash teaching context. Yes, information, wisdom, and knowledge, revelation, truth. Uh, they can and should be imparted, but conversation is about learning, right? And what is in the mind of the conversation partner? What is in their hearts? And you as a conversation uh, converser, right? You are also uh, conveying what's on your mind and heart. So more than ever in today's milieu, uh, we need to develop our skills. We're really good at listening, listening carefully, listening accurately, listening actively, comprehending, right? So many times you could listen to something, but walk away with a poor understanding of what has been said, 
even that, right? Or in, in many contexts. Uh, we have to speak better. Right? We have to be able to articulate. Not you don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be like super fancy in your in your speech. But you have to really uh, be able to express what you really mean, what I really mean. And then like being able to guide conversations, like what, where is the Holy Spirit taking this, right? Maybe it's not where you planned. Maybe it's not the manner in which you, you're hoping this would go. But if there is indication that the Spirit wants to take us there, to be cognizant of it, to, to be sensitive to it, to be able to uh, follow that, and it's hard. It's hard when we talk about the gospel. It's actually hard to talk about any sort of spiritual topic, it seems. So to kind of really have a sense of like urgency, a sense of burden, a sense of like, oh, I need to learn how to do this. I need to hone this skill. I think that is the uh, converted mindset that I am wanting us to have. Even the goal of these kind of uh, conversations, I think, has to change a little bit. Uh, of an instantaneous, dramatic conversion, like you say something, spend 10 minutes explaining the gospel, and that like so penetrates a person's heart, like, yes, I'm going to believe. I mean, that, that's our dream as ambassadors of the gospel. Uh, but maybe that shouldn't be our main goal, or that shouldn't be our defin de definition of evangelism. Instead, uh, how can we help the person take one step closer to Christ and then thereafter take another step? And you know how it goes, like two steps forward, one step back. You know, we might have to, you know, uh, ebb and flow, but a steady uh, progress. That should be what we're trying to do, what the gospel is helping us uh, do. I think um, it seems true that, uh, or, or realistic that uh, people today, they're not ready. Right? It's, they're not really uh, kind of, it's not the way they express it, nor is it, are they, their hearts are not pre-evangelized enough to uh, respond to the gospel in one conversation, in one setting. Even if they are persuaded, man, what you're saying is right, that sounds true. I really need that. That just because they've made those, you know, uh, realizations, that does not mean that they are ready to surrender their life to Jesus Christ at that moment. And so, how can we, like, um, shepherd that progress, that development? That's what um, I, I think uh, I'm trying to uh, exhort us to become better at. Just because someone is intellectually convinced that the gospel is correct does not mean that their heart is ready to give up control, to give up living the way that they want to live. Right? You can concede, yeah, you, you sound like you know what you're talking about, but that doesn't mean I'm going to follow what you say. Right? I have my own desires. I have my own plans. I have my own agenda. So how do we kind of... Um, you know, navigate that? How do we help them see, well, you know, to go from, you know, point A to point B, or maybe this is more like point D to point E, or, or something like that. Or, or there's kind of like emotional barriers, right? 
there are reasons why maybe from previously bad experiences with Christianity or with church or with a Christian that hinder a person from trusting in Christ. So we have to be equipped or at least aware of how to work through that, right? Work through that. Um, so uh, the upshot is, I think, let's view evangelism as a process. A process right? Not one and done, not a task, not a, even an event. Those are all pieces, elements of evangelism, but to you know, make it uh, relational over time. It may take a while for non-believing friends to seriously consider the claims of Christ and make a decision to invite them, him into their lives. So in practice, therefore, we need to constantly ask, what do I need to do today to help my non-believing friend take one step closer to Jesus? I think that would be more helpful. That would be more kind of encouraging, that more sustainable in our uh, evangelistic efforts. So uh, with respect to these conversations with non-believers, I want to draw insights from the book I mentioned, which is on the slide, Conversational Evangelism with People to Share Jesus by uh, David Geisler and Norman Geisler. And one of the book's main emphasis uh, is on the art of listening, the art of listening to people as they share their worldviews, as you share their experiences. Right? You can hear exactly what they're saying. And then um, being able to then respond helpfully, ask questions um, in a non-threatening manner, right? Uh, to clarify or to follow up, right? So that uh, indeed after spending some time together, they are a little closer, maybe, maybe infinitesimal, okay? but they still are a little closer to Christ. That's what we pray for. That's what we're hoping for. That's what we're asking others uh, to do. And, and the book spends a lot of time on this foundational observation that these days, uh, a direct kind of like, this is what you need to do and know, a direct proclamation, uh, 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 even preaching, um, a one-way kind of information dump, that is not as effective as kind of in the conversation, in the relationship you're helping, guiding, assisting someone to draw their own realization, to come to their own aha moments, to, to, to figure things out on their own, right? So the, the, the big word that I, I, I pulled from their writings is the idea of how to surface, to bring to light what they're really thinking. What are some of maybe the uh, issues with their thinking, right? What the gospel really, how that comes into play. So, so to lovingly and, but kind of uh, very uh, perceptively and uh, effectively, right? Help a person overcome doubts, overcome barriers, come to their own uh, realizations. That's what's gonna stick, right? Instead of this, here's what it is, and what do you say? What do you believe now? Kind of thing. Again, I'm not saying that that's, that doesn't have its place, but often it takes a while to get there. So to do that well, we should listen carefully. We should learn their story. We should discern any discrepancies that might exist in what people say and believe. Prayerfully and tactfully, 
we should illuminate uh, these discrepancies and address any barriers that prevent our friends from seriously considering Christ, right? Thereafter, uh, it's not, we're not done just by like saying, okay, I've dismantled what you believe, right? What you say that it, you think is right. We have to help build a bridge. How do they get to the next step? How do they come to Christ? Right? And that's more of more being involved, more personal and more challenging than just like here, you have to pray this prayer. You have to confess these things. We have to kind of, again, shepherd our friends into a living relationship uh, with Christ. I've shared with you at times um, some of the experiences on mission trips, right? I really, uh, you know, going to like Bangkok and, and doing mission work, um, short-term missions is uh, a blessing, but it's also kind of nerve-wracking because, you know, we're there to meet friends, develop friendships, and, and share the gospel, right? there and so um, I've been thankful for a number of these kind of uh, conversations that I've had with some of the like KUT students right where um, yeah it, it's been good to learn what they think what they experience what they believe uh, it could be a, a like a, a cultural kind of uh, point uh, or, or or you know um, conviction or practice that they have. And then to, you know, to, to kind of talk through it, not to just say that, oh, I know Christianity and Christianity is prevalent in the world. And so you should become a Christian, but to kind of interact and say, well, for example, like, you know, Buddhism is very strong. And, you know, I, I heard a phrase that says to be Thai is to be Buddhist. Right? It's so kind of built into their, uh, identity. But, you know, in a couple of students that I've had a chance to talk to, as we talk about what does Buddhism really teach, what, is it, what do you really believe, right? I've been able to kind of like question, help them think through like reincarnation, right? the, the, you know, the, the, the karmic cycle, right? that you want to do good so that when you're reincarnated, you come back as a, like a higher life form. And eventually, you want to escape the cycle of suffering by being so good that you are then become you know, cosmically nothing. Right? You just kind of join the, the cosmos uh, in that. Right? So we've had some kind of very interesting and intense conversations, even in a good good way, about what you, who controls karma. Where did karma come from? And, and how do we know that that is really what that dynamic that is taking place? I, I yet to find someone, maybe I'm just have not read enough books and forgot the right person, who can, like, I think, really explain where that it is. It's an assumption that is held. Right? It's kind of the foundation of some of the, the beliefs, the belief system. So in conversation, I've been able to, like, engage them in a way that, as I think about it, and it's a real question of mine. Maybe this is right. <laughs> Maybe there's something I'm missing. So I think I've been able to kind of convey that. And, and they in turn have then thought through it, expressed their own doubts, and then asked me questions about, well, how do I know that you know, Christianity, what it claims about the afterlife is correct? Yes. 
understand what I'm, um, I'm trying to uh, get at. So back to the book. Um, to me, um, it's it felt kind of technical, right, at times, um, but it offers the image of different roles that uh, we can play at different junctures and helping to curate more and more curiosity uh, of the gospel to our friends. So uh, there's a lot of like tips, there's a lot of like, you, you know, like I said, like, like apologetics in the book, but um, it's designed to kind of encourage us to play these four conversational roles, okay? Uh, one of them is as a musician. See yourself as a musician, right? And a musician who, who listens, who hears music or the heart of the person. Right? And especially like, you know, I'm sure all of you singers out there or musicians, you can hear when like a wrong note is played or if you're sitting next to me, like, you know, when Mona was changing the, the, the octaves, I was like, whoa, where am I? <laughs> that kind of thing, you, you, can, you can hear that. The discrepancies, the, the things that are off a little bit, right? So in your conversations with your friends, listen carefully. Listen to what their hearts are saying, what their words mean, and see if there aren't any off keynotes where they say one thing, or or they but their their hearts mean another, or their experience means another, or sometimes there's like just contradictions within the beliefs. Right? The second role is as an artist. Right now, you're the person who's trying to paint a, 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 a picture of what you know the person has been saying and how you're understanding it, a portrait of it. Right? So that's like you're shedding light, you're illuminating. So when they see it, they go, "Oh, is that what I said?" But you know, I don't see how that connects to this. And and so it's not just like some people are really kind of. Like mixed up and or vague uh, in their beliefs. So it, it, it's a chance to kind of show, hey, do you see this? Do you see that this doesn't match that? To help them along in, in their kind of uh, faith realization. And then the third role is as an archaeologist, right? And that's probably the hardest thing, but you're trying to uncover any like reasons why. It could be emotional, it could be intellectual, whatever. It could be relational. Why a person is not ready or is uh, kind of against um, coming to faith. Again, it, 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 a lot of times it's emotion. There's like something experiential that closed them off to the possibility of ever um, trusting Christ. But if you go through it, like, you know, for example, all Christians are hypocrites and, you know, they, you hear about um, the Crusades and that kind of stuff, and that kind of embeds in people and they don't hear anything else, right? But to be able to kind of, as an archeologist, like, you, know, you don't wanna break any of the fossils, right? You don't wanna, you wanna preserve these things, but you wanna uh, be able to reveal them. And how do we do that lovingly? How do we do that um, humbly? And then finally, as a builder, right? it's not enough to just say, okay, here, here's, Here's all the propositions, and here's all the the truth uh, uh, truth matters, and all that kind of stuff. What is the legitimate next step? What needs to happen that that person? So you're, we're like building planks, right, or kind of boards to get the person across the bridge. So if you find this helpful, I commend the book to you um, uh, for that uh, role. Um, uh, 
again, the, the author's main exhortation that I think took away is that we need to develop the skill of asking the right questions in the right manner. Okay. Do you want anything, you want to remember anything from the book? <laughs> right questions in the right manner. If we can do that, I think uh, the author's please, right? Now the right questions, right? Are, um, you know, uh, questions that clarify, questions that make create uncertainty uh, if a person's beliefs are inconsistent. Uh, the right manner, right, would be right, non-argumentative. Please don't prove that you're capable of winning an argument. The right manner is non-offensive. You're not trying to put that person in their place and break them down so that you know they, they'll, they, they'll, they'll feel bad about themselves and confess Christ's sake. No, uh, it's to um, be genuine. It's to really show how you yourself came to faith right, through this process. And you're, you really want that for uh, your friend. Um, it's not an ego trip where we just kind of Shout out all the Bible knowledge we have. We want to foster a curiosity for learning more and more about the Jesus we love and serve. You know, we may not be the person that brings a person ultimately to Christ, right? We might just be playing um, a part. Right? That person, we may lose contact with them. They may move on to the next, but we've done something for the time that we've truly got Jesus. Right? Now, of course, I, I, I won't and can't cover all the books, points or the examples provided. So I'm going to stop there, but I'm going to move to the second part as a segue to now our John 4 text. Uh, here's my, my own distillation, my own adaptation of their encouragement to use right questions in the right manner. Um, as you can see, um, to me, it's less about what's, what's what. Like I, I'm not declaring what's what, but I want to assist my friends in realizing realities about themselves, the world, and the gospel. So here's um, how... I kind of wanted to take um, learning from the book and also uh, um, apply it to our John 4 passage. So to me, Jesus is the master of asking right questions, right? We know, we know that all throughout the Gospels, he's just amazing at it. But especially in John chapter 4, there's this real great way of examples, right, that he uh, uses to help to surface, again, that idea of surface and bringing to light, helping someone see and understand. How does he help to surface the doubts and the longings that are in the Samaritan woman's heart? How does he do that? And that that's, you see the first divisions there, that's the first 10 verses or so. And then next, uh, how does he help to surface discrepancies, inconsistencies, inconsistencies in her thinking? Right? What barriers does she have, right? Jesus does that famous go call your husband line. That's a barrier, a huge barrier. But he gets to that. He's just so, so adept at it. And then how do Jesus use questions or dialogue to help surface uh, bridges or next steps? You know, he actually leads her right, uh, to faith on the spot, right? He leads her to faith on the spot, but how does he do that? It's really through kind of uh, a lot of things that she's already on her own been kind of thinking about and that she's, she hints at that Jesus uses that 
deploys that uh, to uh, bring her there. Okay, thank you for uh, thinking through that with me. I'm going to read the passage now, uh, John 4, verse 5. 4, 5. So he came to a town uh, in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, it's like noon, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? For you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Okay, I'm going to leave that as a cliffhanger. <laughs> Okay, stop there in terms of reading. A lot of you are familiar with the passage, of course, but um, for our uh, next uh, study, we'll do the remaining verses. This is a familiar and compelling passage, and I always read it with joy um, whenever I, I, I have a chance, right? It's just so rich in its themes and nuances. Um, as must be apparent to us, Jesus is the master of conversational evangelism. Now, he has some advantages over us, being the son of God and all, but there is much to learn and uh, much to emulate in my view. For example, we can appreciate, or we should appreciate, how much Jesus prioritized evangelism. It was very important to him. He did not avoid going through Samaria, a region most Orthodox Jews circumvented. Race was an obvious cultural obstacle in this narrative. So were the social mores regarding men and women who were not married. Public conversation was taboo. Further, Jesus was tired and hungry from all his travels and ministry. Yet these did not stop him from having an extended conversation, one of the longest recorded in the New Testament, with a Samaritan woman about numerous weighty matters. So Jesus really demonstrates the importance of the heart in evangelism. His heart really wanted to share the gospel. Right? Now, in our message, we were talking about a lot of how-tos, but I've also tried to mention here and there how essential the who-to is in the evangelism dynamic. The guy serves, the authors, they write, our struggles in evangelism are not primarily about methodology, but about maturity. And it's really about us. If we know everything, but we don't have the right heart, it's not going to get us uh, anywhere. If we don't have God's heart for the unsaved, gospel witnessing is quite difficult. If we're not willing to make time or make sacrifices. If we don't have a sense of urgency, um, once we stop sharing, it's really hard to get active again. So Jesus, we see him as being so exemplary. He doesn't miss the opportunity, uh, even though the odds are stacked against this conversation reaching a successful outcome. So priority in evangelism, that's uh, you know, something that Jesus can show us. A second lesson, I think, to learn is to see how Jesus uses the contingencies of the moment, the contingencies of the moment to open up spiritual truth. 
He's sitting at a water well. It's a noon hour, so probably on a hot day. He's thirsty, he has no bucket, he has no rope uh, or any other tool with which to draw water. So in stride, like, so to speak, in verse seven, he directs his first question to the Samaritan woman. Will you give me a drink? Right? Wow, it's so apt that the perfect question, perfect opening question to use is natural, it's contextual, it's reasonable, it's organic, it's even expected, right? I mean, maybe not from a Jewish man to a Samaritan woman. Jesus doesn't even have to transition, right? <laughs> to a spiritual topic. He nimbly opens the conversation with a practical question that is deeper than the well of water that was dug hundreds of years prior. I, I, I dwell on this point because I find that in my personal experiences, transitioning to spiritual topics is super tough. Right? You can, we can talk about weather, we can talk about sports, we can talk about the pandemic, talk about school, we can talk about professors, but how do we begin to talk about Christ? Right? Is, it, is it hard? It's either awkward for you or that person is resistant. And sometimes we just power through and that's, sometimes that's the right answer, but it's not always the right answer. Uh, to do that. Now, you know, uh, I suggested already, like, do contact events, use, hey, what am I doing Friday night? So what am I doing, you know, what I do this weekend? What am I going to do on Easter Sunday? Right? To kind of uh, make connections to and start exposing our friends to, you know, our faith. Or as I told you, like, you know, sometimes my particular career path always raises questions, like, why did you do this and change to this and why now? So those are just kind of like, normal small talk that is a chance right to uh, have kind of spiritual conversations but jesus he's so aware of his surroundings right he's so confident in his identity indeed as the living water uh, himself that he's able to use a mundane opening question just sitting there at a well to get this person to see not only her physical thirst but her spiritual thirst so, you know, I had a chance to take uh, some of these English conversation partners on a hike you know, to um, Storm King and stuff. And had a really good time. You know, it was a beautiful day and you know, the scenery was great. And, you know, they themselves were just so, you know, they, they thought, you know, they never imagined going hiking in New York because they're only here for a couple of years you know, studying and working hard at their degree and all that. But, you know, they were like enjoying nature and they were talking about this this sense of transcendence and this sense of like, they wanted to shout and sing and, and they were just so overjoyed. And so I just said like, isn't that interesting, right? That the universal reaction to see like a beautiful landscape to, to, to think that they're, you may not believe in God, but you think, wow, there must be, there is a sense of kind of, we are more than just our physical bodies, right? We're more than just this kind of, uh, you know, uh, earthly existence. There's, we are always thinking about higher things. And that was an occasion to, to talk through things, to, to converse, to have these you know, conversational evangelism. Or when we look at, like, you know, uh, one of the guys is a uh, computer science major. And, like, he was telling me about his algorithms. And it's very confusing, all these boxes and arrows and, and all that kind of stuff. And I said, look, you understand the, the mind behind this, right? The, all of the preparation, all of the theory that requires this kind of coding. 
And when you look at our lives, our bodies and stuff, is it really your contention that random chance, random you know, evolution, all this kind of stuff could create the kind of brilliance that you see now, right? Of course, you didn't agree with me, but it wasn't open, it was a contact point. Right? It was a means by which I could try to surface, right? Doubt and longing uh, in his heart. Yeah. And then uh, in verses uh, 10 to 14, we get a conversational evangelism exchange par excellence, okay? Using the existential thirst present in all people, Jesus veritably surfaces the doubts and longings in the Samaritan woman's mind. Uh, let's look at verse 10. It's a remarkable sentence. Let me try to break it down for us a little bit. And Jesus says there, if you knew the gift, right, you would have asked. Right? These two phrases suggest that he understands her deeper musings and the cries of her heart. Right? One might say that Jesus reads her heart. And I doubt that we can speak with similar confidence about a specific individual, right? Yet we can read and relate to the human heart in general because we're human, right? So a lot of the things that we've struggled with, others are struggling with as well. For example, thirst. Thirst is universal. Right? Our bodies need hydration, right? But it's also an incisive metaphor to describe longing or discontent in living this life. We're thirsty for more than water. Thirst for knowledge, for answers, thirst for belonging, for meaning, for justice, and so on and so forth. Universally speaking, likewise, we the, the waters, the beverage that, that the world gives us, it doesn't satisfy. Right? The woman drank from the water in the well all the time, but it didn't satisfy her, maybe temporarily here and there, but it did not offer anything that could permanently sink her thirst. In fact, it could leave her more thirsty. Hence, you know, six husbands and living with someone that wasn't her husband. So Jesus kind of captivates the Samaritan woman's interest by recognizing that not only is she thirsty for more than well water, but she's been searching for someone. If you knew who I was, if you would ask for me, she already, he already starts to in, introduce concepts of, of God uh, and of uh, uh, the gift of God, grace, a unique individual, asking, requesting, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's why later on she brings up the subject of, of worship. Right? So here he is taking, again, a mundane situation, an everyday example, and turning it into a conversational event. The last lesson uh, for me to highlight for us today centers on the fact that uh, what Jesus says in the manner in which he says it, it kind of causes the woman to respond. She's hooked, she's curious, she's desirous of this living water. And I think that's exactly what these authors mean when they call upon us to surface doubts and longings in our friends and our conversation partners. I remember uh, when I was a student myself and I was very confused about my own faith and stuff, but I did try to share. And I find that um, the optimal moments of sharing uh, faith in Christ was like late night after doing something that everyone regretted. <laughs> so like partying too hard or doing something that was supposedly fun, blowing a lot of money, just wasting time. After we tried the world's drinks, right? The world's water, that emptiness was so profound that, you know, if 
I had the, the, the courage and the guts to just say, hey, that wasn't that fun. <laughs> or do you guys think like, you know, that was worth it? You know, people who are thinking along that way, and they're quite a bit, they, they share, they relate, they, they connect, they agree because they understand that um, these, uh, this, there's, there's gotta be something more. There's gotta be, uh, we're missing uh, something. Right. Or when like a friend returned from a date, right? Like nine times out of ten, you ask them about it, and like it would lead to a conversation about, you know, that this is not the answer, and 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 the way that, you know, relationships are happening, it just it's really uh, meaningless. Uh, and no matter how successful, no matter how pretty or how fun it was, uh, there is that again that thirst that that we all have right and you don't really have to like I didn't have to like into tighten the intellectual screws they were already themselves thinking in that way and ready I just needed to kind of like give the opportunity say the right thing so let's uh, peruse verses 11 to 12 and 15 again right? um, obviously the woman is in intrigued by this peculiar rabbi he puts things just so some of what he says seems kind of unrealistic, unrealistic, but other things he says like ultra high death realistic. He seems like a great man, but is he as great as Jacob? To me, it's almost like she's thinking out loud. She's just kind of like talking to herself a little bit. Jesus is just there giving her chances, but he does it in a non-threatening and winsome manner. And then like on the spot, you can see her analysis, if not her own reflection uh, or her thoughts, right? And then the kicker in verse 15. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And the woman is been progressing on this path to the point of volitionally Asking Jesus, please give me this water. I don't know. Like Jesus looked into her soul, and in the reflection of his eyes, she saw how parched she was. But Jesus has been the musician. He heard what she said. He was the artist. He painted the picture for her, right? Um, he guided her to this realization. But like I've been saying, she, did, she knew it all along that she was dying of thirst. Jesus just put the words to it. So her choice, right? He didn't force it uh, on her. Her conviction that she needed this water. There's no press, no pressure, not even any controlling. Jesus's pre-evangelism is actually uh, very evangelistic. And her willing response, yes, I need that water. Please give it to me. That's like a music to a, an evangelist's ears. Like if you're sharing the gospel and your friend says that, woohoo, right? You're like so excited. But Jesus slams on the brakes, doesn't he? He actually says, go call your husband. He kind of needs to get through the surfacing the barriers and then certainly building uh, the bridge. That's where we'll pick up conversations, part two. All right, please bow with me in prayer. Um, take some time now to uh, review, think about um, just, I'm just going to sum up the, today's uh, message. Um, Converting our own hearts. How do we look at evangelism? Are we 
still kind of stuck on maybe old and ineffective paradigms. Or maybe we don't even think about this at all. It's just not, we don't have the time, we don't have the interest, we got too much going on. What kind of conversions, quote unquote, need to happen in our hearts? And then second, right, uh, Jesus's ability to take um, just a, a normal routine situation and turn it into a evangelism moment. Let's think about that. Let's think about um, have we been able to surface uh, doubts or longings uh, in our friends? Uh, have we tried? Just uh, have a few moments of thought and prayer. Um, another prayer I'd like us to raise is not just how to do it or whether we've been doing it, but now who. I'd like you to pray for a person. Maybe you've been doing this and you really want to pray for their progress to Christ, or maybe you have someone in mind. So make a commitment. Maybe this week or the coming days, you will have a chance to apply some of these uh, some of these. Bible stories to your relationship with them. Let's pray for them. Uh, Lord, uh, thank you for a chance for us to consider and then um, uh, commit to um, sharing my faith in fresh ways, in uh, regular ways, uh, with the people that we bring into our lives. Um, help us not to be driven by guilt, but by duty, but really by compassion and by gratitude for how you gave us living water. Help us to be creative, help us to be loving, help us to be effective in using conversations to point to Christ, to help people think through their own beliefs, to escort them, to shepherd them ever closer to you. Help us to proclaim you in beautiful and uh, God-honoring ways. Jesus, I pray.